I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Hilo, ladies and gentlemen. This is the weekly pop culture and news podcast inspired by Vanity Fair editors Tina Brown's ethos, which is all culture is best consumed in high and low brow quantities. I'm Dolly Alderton and this is Pandora Sykes. I told you I could do the intro well. That was psychotic. <laughs> you sounded really bizarre. <laughs> Pandora just commented before we started recording that I always <laughs> I always freeze up when I do the intro. You do, you freak out. It's about an hour. Okay, later. well that's the last we won't ever do it. You should always do the intro from now on. No, because we'll get a complaint saying that I've overridden you. <laughs> Run roughshod over you. Um, welcome to the High Earth. This is your first ever episode. For everyone else, it's episode 19. Thanks for bearing with us. And thank you for letting us have a week off last week. Letting we know us. it's hard. <laughs> we are governed by our people. We are. That is true. And millennials, as we know, are famously entitled when it comes to consuming free content. But we love you all the more for it. It was all Pandora's fault because she was away on holiday. How was your holiday? Very nice, thank you. I was away for nine days and it was the perfect mix because I was in Norfolk with my family for five days for my mother's 70th. And oh, is that the reason for the trip? Yeah. Oh. And a third of all meals were sausage plat. And um, <laughs> so funny, I just don't think of the Sykes's as a sausage plat family. Oh my God, yeah, it's one of mum's top three meals. Sausage uh, plat, cauliflower cheese with ham and chicken noodle soup. And how does and one... anyone in the family could name if you were like what are mum's three meals? That, those, that, are the, those are the three the classics. Meals. Yeah. How does one serve a sausage plat? It's sausage in a plat. With in a pastry. In, in a pastry. In a pastry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then what does she serve it with or does she just Oh, I mean we pretend we eat it with things. But right. really it's just plat. It's just pure plat. Ollie thinks he found plat nirvana <laughs> because he opened up the pastry and put a layer of pate inside. That is hideous. <laughs> then closed it back up again. Anyway, so I had five days of plat and also... Um, was it my... as good as Nanny Pat's though? That's the question. God, God rest her soul. <laughs> I know. I bet it was better. Sorry, Nanny Pat. Um, and my mum has turned into... I don't know if it's quite right to call her a missionary, but she's a woman <laughs> with a mission. And that is to get the seawall trimmed properly we went on a walk because we my parents have a cottage by the sea and absolutely every person we had to stop and lobby them to sign this petition and she was firing off emails to this man called russell and i think it's really apt this has happened when she turned 70 because this is clearly her next epoch her new baby yeah Yeah. it's it's mission time yeah and she's always syndrome always emailing (laughs) russell with just two fingers tapping away on her ipad she sent russell five emails and the fifth was um said something like I don't know what actually I don't know what her email said, but Russell finally replied saying, you know, dear Nikki, like we're looking into this and we've had so much other um, foliage to trim away, you know, you wouldn't even believe. And then she obviously put in a joke. She said, I find your comment about me obviously always being on holiday completely unnecessary and unfounded. 
anyway, mum had a fresh email up ready to reply. And my sister was like, and, and like a sort of cheeky smile on her face. My sister was like, just leave it now. I was like, mum, you're going to be into harassment territory. But anyway, I said I have to, to her, say, like, mother like daughter. I can see where you get the terrier gene well, from. Well, I said to her, I was like, you're because we were stopping everyone to talk to them and um she was going on oh, my daughter that who's must a have fashion, been a very long walk my daughter who's a fashion journalist says and i was like my god i'm getting the full intro anyway, anyway i was gonna say did she try to tap you up for your instagram following <laughs> no she doesn't she's we she's, should say nikki if you're listening we'll put <laughs> the link to the petition in the description of this episode <laughs> but she said um i said mum you're in danger of becoming a mad old woman and she said i don't mind because mad old women Mad old women get things done. They get shit done. Because everyone wants to get rid of us. Anyway, this became the mantra. And I heard her on the telephone to various bodies and sort of going into various huts to try and speak to various officials. And I heard her going, and you know what I said to my daughter? And I'm like, yeah, mad old women get things done. It's true, though. They'll be like, you know, that woman that keeps coming in and blithering on about the wall, just do anything she asks. <laughs> anyway, so that was quite comical. And then um, I went to Italy for four days. I went to staying in a village next to Cinque Terre, which is on the Italian in Riviera it's just gorgeous you'd love it actually lovely pretty buildings um, so much pasta and pizza and every meal you said every single meal yeah sausage plat pasta pizza I think maybe you must like, have been very bunged up I mean completely yes if anyone's interested digestion <laughs> is still sluggish um, but I found it really interesting actually because and I'm not really surprised because Italy is very traditional very you know Catholic mm. and sort of family orientated and probably not particularly advanced in terms of gender neutrality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we were sitting down for dinner and I got gi- and Ollie got given a normal menu with prices and I got given a menu without the prices and I was like look at that oh my god look at that and he was like oh my because god because they think that you're the fancy bit of skirt who doesn't pay for anything this was my point and yeah. I was like and he said um it would be ridiculous. You just, you know, you, you just they they haven't done that on purpose. And then we went to another ruinously expensive um, restaurant. You know, the one restaurant that costs more than all other eleven meals you've had in the vicinity. And they did it again. And I was like, in your mm. face. Mm. So I in in front of them, I made him swap. <laughs> I would have said, "Can I have a menu with the price?" But it was then please? ruined by the fact that I hadn't bought my wallet with him, so he then paid. <laughs> and it looked—I was like, "Fuck!" It looks like instead, I'm just really obsessed with his money. <laughs> anyway, so I did that, and I did so much reading. Sorry to rub it in, because I know you've been doing your rewrites, but I've read, I think, eight books in the last I'm two so weeks, jealous. which has been utterly. I think I've joyful. lost the ability to read. I can't remember the last time I read a book. Oh, you can, I'll help you. I'll coach you back. Thank you. But you just found me on a street corner in the non-proverbial. Looking like a little streeter. Reading, um, oh, what's the actual title? The Course of Love by Alan de Botton, which is just um, absolutely lovely sort of modern philosophy book about a relationship. Very easy to read. Absolutely loved that. Came out last year. Um, and I have, what did I read? Oh, I read Hunger by Roxane Gay, uh, which was really interesting. It is all about, so she's obviously a famous journalist, Roxane Gay. She's written other brilliant books I've enjoyed called um, Bad Feminist, Difficult Women, um, and this book is about being a very overweight woman um, and, you know, her life as a woman that takes up a lot of space. And it all stemmed from when she was raped as a teenager, which I didn't know before I read the book, mm. um, and about how she tried to cloak herself, you know, for security and for safety. Mm. So it's a very, very truthful, honest book. Um, but it was... Do you know what? It's an interesting one. I didn't love it. Oh, wow. And... I don't know. I just didn't love it as much as her other books. It, I just, it just didn't. I, 
Maybe you clipped with the subjects on the other, you know, maybe they resonated No, but I thought there's something interesting there that, do you feel, because I feel like when someone has written a very personal, I felt like this when I admitted I didn't love Ariel Levy's book, that I preferred her other writing. And one journalist friend of ours was like, I don't even want to hear. But there's something about a memoir where you automatically like have... I felt immediately sick when you said that. Oh, what? Because I'm writing a memoir. Try and remove yourself (laughs) Go on, tell me why you're going to hate my book. No, I'm not going to hate your book. But what I mean is that when it's no, 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 you're going. This is nothing to do with a the memoir as a genre. But when someone writes a memoir and you don't like it, I feel like you're not allowed to say because it's something very personal Mm. and the subject matter is always um, so with Ariel Levy it was quite distressing subject matter with Roxanne Gates but very very, distressing but I feel like if you say you don't like it you're sometimes you're somehow being like a callous bitch or criticising their life their life criticising criticising their life experience so I found that quite interesting not enjoying it as much as her other work and somehow feeling guilty and like no. I couldn't vocalise that no. um, so that was Hunger I read Commonwealth but you, you do have to love mine that's the only oh I will love yours <laughs> I will love yours you know I love yours um, I read Commonwealth by Anne Patchett have you read any Anne oh, Patchett oh no I haven't I'd never heard of her and my sister was like oh my god how have you not heard of her you absolutely love her and funnily enough she had done the kind of front quotation on Roxanne Gay's book so she's obviously oh, okay. it's a bit like when I discovered Meg Wurlitzer another um, modern American author female author and I was like where on earth have I been so I've just bought all of Anne Patchett's books and I read a brilliant book called Gather the Daughters um it's a debut book from Jenny Melamed who is an American psychiatric nurse and it's basically being dubbed The New Handmaid's Tale oh wow it's amazing fiction love that yes yeah yeah yeah, dystopian Mm. um a loss of women's rights, sort of that. And then I read a book which had the most amazing reviews ever, but I thought it was the most boring thing I've ever read. And you, do you ever do that way? You're just fascinated that somehow it's been shortlisted for a Man Booker Prize and you are bored to fucking tears. Mm. I just couldn't see. It's called Hot Milk. And actually I tweeted, oh my God, is that, did anyone else find this the worst book I've ever read? And three people tweeted back being like, this was the dullest book I've ever read. Could could not. I really like that you're really honest about that stuff. I still feel nervous when I'm in a group and I tell them I think Boyhood was the most boring film ever made. <laughs> also, do you know what else I think is boring? Casablanca. I've never watched it. It's boring. Okay, I'll watch it. Isn't it's... it meant to be boring, though? No, it's meant to be like the seminal best film of all time. But isn't it meant to be like Gone with the Wind? Charlie hasn't watched it. Gone with the Wind is also meant to be quite boring. Gone with the Wind oh, no, it's not is boring. amazing. I've seen it. What am I talking about? Gone with the Wind is incredible. Yes, he's a nasty man. Rhett. I fell asleep in Casablanca. Anyway. Mm. Casablanca. Oh dear. <laughs> and then last for my culture binge, um, I watched To the Bone, the Netflix only film starring um Lily Collins about um a twenty, I think she's twenty, twenty-one, uh twenty-one year old girl who has long suffered from anorexia. And there's been a lot of opinion pieces about it um debating whether or not it's gratuitous and um triggering Mm. or a genuinely what's it called a genuinely insightful insightful helpful helpful yeah thing to have in the forum um you haven't watched it have you no i have to say as i've talked about before in the podcast i have my own personal experience with the eating difficulties in the past and i watched the trailer and i just found it to use the parlance of our generation I just found it too triggering I found it very disturbing and upsetting and I did find 
the kind of the Hollywood sheen on it and the peppy soundtrack and everything, I was just like, I'm not going to be able to handle watching this. I'm going to find it too difficult. But I have read a lot of commentary around it because I was really interested. And I must say that the overriding party line that I've found is that it it does glamorise eating disorders and it is dangerous. So having watched it, and obviously I can't really, this won't be a balanced conversation in that you haven't seen it. No, I can't give an opinion because I haven't seen it. Haven't seen it and you have experienced disordered eating yourself. Mm. I have seen it and I haven't ever had disordered eating. So this is going to be very much my you know, no, I'm very it. interested what you saw. Which is in the same way that The Fault in Our Stars, which is about teenagers with cancer. I have a sort of mixed opinion of this idea of triggers and whether or not that um, invalidates the necessity to have something. So the fact that it was a trigger for you is completely understandable. And mm. the fact that you wouldn't want to watch it because of your own experience makes more sense than nonsense to me. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that means that it shouldn't exist. No, I agree. And I think a lot of the arguments about it um, being triggering, like there's a scene where her little sister tests her to guess all the calories. She's like, go, go, go on her plate. So mm. she's like, sweet potato, 300, meat chop, 210 or whatever. And See, and, I, think, I think that is harmful. I think that I, is harmful. I don't because it's. I think that it is an absolutely accurate portrayal of what would be going through a career anorexic's head. It is. The only thing that I would say is that that stuff was fodder for those websites that I used to go onto, to my shame. But, and do, you, but do you think it means that they shouldn't exist? Because you could say this about so I just many... Think it's, I just think it's such an epidemic in young women. It's such an epidemic. I think we don't have enough distance But from so it. is obesity. Does that mean that we shouldn't ever see hugely overweight women but in true. films? And do, should we never but, but, see... But it's Lily Collins. It's like an... The, the, I read she a, suffered from an eating disorder herself. True, but I read a, an article... Again, I understand that I haven't watched it, but I read an article from a woman who suffered anorexia and she said, look, my experience with eating disorders were shitting myself on the tube because I'd taken however many laxatives it was not the the thing I saw of a girl counting eating disorders and like and the other thing is as well it's like yeah she's she's thin from what I've seen from pictures of her and from the trailer but in the grand scheme of Hollywood if we didn't know it was a film about anorexia I don't know if we would think she's that thin no 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't she looks really ill in it you would she's 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 so gaunt and you can see the fuzz on her arms I don't know I mean again I disagree with that you see she goes to a kind of safe house and you see her talking about how she's never had sex before because you know this has ruled her, her pubescent years you see a woman who desperately wanted to keep her baby but couldn't stop her Purging, so suffered a miscarriage and you mm. see that in its bloody gory um, I just think that we have to be careful with the idea of a trigger that if something is triggering by all means put your mental health first and don't engage Personally, with that yeah. but I just don't necessarily think that it should it should mean that these these films aren't made because I do believe that they help an understanding of the psychology of an issue a little more and I also think that a lot of it is to do with PTSD. Like watching that, there'll be a vast amount of post-traumatic stress disorder for you because it would bring back all of those memories of that really harrowing time. Mm. And for a, this is a really crass comparison, but for a soldier watching a war film... I am it very would, similar to it a would, soldier. It would bring back... Well, you were fighting a battle, just yeah. albeit of the personal kind. Mm. And, and that would bring back triggers and post-traumatic stress disorder and I, I more think that we have to operate we have to have the kind of agency as individuals to not engage with stuff that will be personally affecting to you I, I agree and that and that can't censor the only thing I, 
would ask you, and I'm genuinely interested as someone who watched the whole thing, is the vibe that I got off it. Basically, it's fine to tell those stories, it's important to tell those stories, but those stories can't have a cool girl sheen. The, the predominant message from those stories have to be the reality, and the reality is a hideous and dark and horrible thing. And if you think that balance was right, then... Well, um, Anna Leskovich, who does the um, Seriously podcast, The New Statesman, and writes a lot of pop culture pieces for them, wrote one of the most interesting pieces I'd read on um, To The Bone, which you should Google, and it was... Um, I watch to the bone so you don't have to and she talks about how it glamorizes anorexia and it is a it's a largely different position to how I felt about it mm. but she did say and I can see this that um she felt like she was made to seem too much of a sort of badass although yes. again I would say it's very clear that she has no friends she gets back home and her stepmother's like your dad doesn't want to see you like what mm. are you doing to us how many more times do we have to do this and her little sister bursts into tears and says I haven't been allowed a childhood all I've ever worried is about you dying mm. so I think I mean ultimately I think this film was never in the age of internet op-eds this film was never going to escape criticism but I think that the people that made it should be proud of making it much to be honest I found this much less problematic um, from an unbiased outsider's point of view than I did watching 13 Reasons Why you know that film that Selena Gomez exec produced about a teenager who committed suicide no, and they, it's um, it was a big Netflix oh, yes, thing I last did. year and yeah, there was a yeah, hoo-ha yeah. about it because it was meant to be 13 reasons why she committed suicide mm. and the huge looming problem with that is that um, a lot of those reasons were oh she did it because this person screwed her over and this person dumped her and this person broke her heart and teenagers or anyone don't commit suicide to get their own back and the no. whole premise was that she had done this to teach them a lesson and so immediately there's a big old hole in it yeah. um, I didn't feel that with this. and also that's extremely audience. reductive as well on, on something very complicated weirdly I read less there was less controversy about that than I feel like there is about To The Bone I don't know anyways so there you go there's a, I've given you a whole bump of what I've been up to in the last few weeks <laughs> I haven't done that at all <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to what know what I did? Doing? I lost my mind at a festival. That's what I did this weekend. Is that the first time you've ever said that sentence? Oh, dear. <laughs> Again, I lost my mind at a festival. Again. <laughs> is, any, is there any of it PG commute? Yes. There might so, be people on their commute and you don't want to make them vom in their mouths. So it was my friend Claire um, helps run this festival called Curious, Ar Curious Arts Festival, which is kind of, there's music and there's authors and it's brilliant. I love it. I've been there before and me and my mate Lauren went um, and I think what triggered it was on the way down on the train, I said to her, we would, I, I floated this theory that I said, I think we only do fun in a bit of a half-assed way these days. And she was like, I don't think we do. And then I gave her examples and I was like, I haven't got a problem with it. But I do think our like hunger for fun is diminishing a bit and she said that she thinks that I lodged something in her head that she had to prove to me <laughs> over the course Did she of get a weekend than you? she went way madder than me yeah so we just we just completely lost our minds at this festival got absolutely wrecked um booked this uh, cab to get back to take us back to our hotel at 1am and then Lauren came up to me at like three and was like dude and I was like what she's like the cab it's gone and we were in the middle of Hampshire and she was like, well... we middle class festivals. <laughs> Hampshire, she was hotel, like, taxi. Oh, I can't camp anymore. My back can't deal with it. And she was like, um, well, we're just going to have to navigate through the fields. 
two and a half hours in the darkness, two phones completely dead, with two people off their heads, singing Bruce Springsteen songs, holding hands. We finally get there. It's five in the morning at this point, and um, Lauren arrives at the front of the hotel, and she says, oh, dear, I left that, our key in that man's yurt. <laughs> what did you do? So then Lauren had to go to a payphone in the town, ring this emergency number for this man called Russ. Russ was like, it's under a pot plant. Lauren then goes and finds the pot plant, the key. Lauren finds the pot plant, smashes the pot plant. It's just... <laughs> what, at the hotel or back disaster. in the yurt? At the hotel. Oh, dear. And then we get into bed at dawn. India said day? she thinks it sounded like an episode of Peep Show. And then the next day we were like so hungover I said we cannot behave like this anymore it's very undignified and I said we I think we should go home well, the plan was we were going to go home that afternoon I had to do an author interview with a woman called Nikki Hodgson about her amazing book about the history of d- dating so I don't know how I managed to get myself onto the stage and do this like vaguely cohesive interview and then we bumped into Cosmo Landersman and his girlfriend and he was like come and have lunch with us let's have a drink Seven hours later, we realised we've missed the last train home and we had nowhere to stay. Where did you stay? In a man's tent that we found. (laughs) Um, So that is the name of that tune. Well done, doll. (laughs) (laughs) So there's been no book reading for me. Oh, I have been going to a lot of gigs. Oh, well done. I haven't been to a gig since 1964. Really? Yeah, I don't really go to gigs. Oh, because Aqua aren't playing anymore. No, I want to go to Coldplay. (laughs) Do you know Coldplay are a band that only makes sense when you see them live? Um, they make sense to me not live. <laughs> They're an amazing band to go see what live. What gigs have you gone? Those poor music lovers who listen to this podcast must be like, at last! <laughs> um, I went to uh, Kurt Elling at the Barbican. He's a jazz singer, which was amazing. Although halfway through, I was with Lauren again, we're massive jazz fans. And halfway through, he was doing some proper hardcore scatting. He was like, and I was like, if any of our friends could see us now who hate shouts, which are most of our friends, they'd be like, this man, this white man in a suit singing skibbity babboo is why we hate jazz. But I loved it. Um, and then I went to Tom Meesh, um, who you would really like, actually. And I was there with my friend Sabrina and a number one gripe that I have at gigs are people who film gigs. Because I'm like... You are never going to watch that. You are literally yeah, never so going to watch pointless. that. You're not going to lie in bed tonight, like, watching a tiny fuzzy yeah, figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it just, to me, shows, like, such greed of experience. They can't just, like, the only, be there. The only, the only time I understand people filming gigs are when they're at Glastonbury and the gig filming is an excuse to catch a celebrity fucked on screen. Yeah, that's fine. I understand There was a that. certain... Very famous celebrity caught in one of these videos recently at Glastonbury. Oh, really? Can we talk about who? No. No, but he definitely had enjoyed a little more than mulled wine. <laughs> oh, I know who you're talking about. Yes, that was very funny. Was a very good video. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it really annoyed me. And it's when you just, you can understand why Prince banned them from his gigs. It's when you just are seeing everything through a sea of screens. And you just think you dickheads are not going to do anything with those videos. Yeah, it used to be lighters, exactly. It used to be something soulful. And my friend Sabrina, who I was with, is a terror for this. And she's half my height. And she kept going, Dolly, do you mind doing a video of this? And I was like, 
fine. And then it's like the fifth time she asked me. I was, I was so annoyed. <laughs> there was this man in front of me with just this quite gigantic bald head. And I just did a one minute video of his head bobbing around. I was like, that is a really good one. You're going to love that. <laughs> we had a very interesting email this week mm. from a girl called Gina Martin. So I'm just going to read it to you. Hello Dolly and Pandora, I'm a big fan of the high-low and to cut a long story short, I'm currently dealing with a situation where I'm trying to put as much pressure as possible on the police to charge two men who took upskirt photos of my privates at British Summertime Hyde Park. My case has been closed because my quote-unquote genitals weren't on show. The picture showed my underwear and everything else, but it wasn't graphic. Um and because I was wearing underwear. I've since found out that there is a massive grey area when it comes to laws around this sort of thing. I posted about this on my Twitter account, at Beanie, G-G, B-E-A-N-I-E-G-I-G-I, and it went viral, which helps my case, as I'm also trying to put pressure on the government to change laws around upskirt photography. I started a petition with Change2 yesterday. We will post the link for that on our Twitter and in the bio to this episode. And was wondering if you could share it on your Twitter, as the more my case is in the public interest, the more leverage I have to get them prosecuted. Thank you. I love both of you and your work. Gina. It made me so angry, this. I'm so sorry this has happened to you, Gina. So far, the petition's been signed by over 22,000 people. Amazing amount, because her aim, I think, is 25,000, but yeah. I say aim high. Beat yeah. That, beat that and also, it's like an experience that so many women face. It's a really interesting one, Upskirt. I hadn't, I hadn't really kind of thought about it that much until I was reading this I didn't really know the law the policy around mm. it um, it's a really interesting one from Gina I also like how she just sounds very level headed about it Yeah, she, she just wants to challenge yeah, the legislation it's not, it's not and a, it does I'm sure it did give her a lot of distress but it's not an emotional email it's no. a um, let's change this yeah. and how can I change this and yeah. Gina writes, Care2 have spoken to victim support charities on my behalf and seen information from another police force that suggests I have been fobbed off by the Met. Upskirt photos can be a crime in the UK. In fact, a man was successfully prosecuted in 2009 for taking upskirt photos. The offence is outraging public decency to commit an act of a lewd, obscene and disgusting nature which is capable of outraging public decency in a public place where at least two members of the public who were actually present at the time could have witnessed it. Gina says, please join me in calling on the Met to reopen my case and help me to get justice by prosecuting the men. If enough people sign the petition, we can show the police that they made a mistake letting this go. This happens to so many women constantly. And by putting pressure on the police to prosecute, we're aiming to urge the government and system to realise the reaction should not be based around what the victim is wearing, such as it would have been punishable if you weren't wearing underwear, Mm -hmm. but instead treated as a real and horrible assault that the police need to recognise as an offence every time it is reported so yeah we will tweet out that link so you can sign Gina's petition and we will put it in the bio to this episode and we've said it a million times before but women's bodies are not fucking public property and we stand by you Gina Support for the Hilo comes from our very elegant and beloved sponsor, NARS. This week, I'm particularly enamoured with the Bord de Plage bronzing and highlighting palette. 
The palette is four opalescent tones that work effortlessly with the skin to create a universal glow as two light diffusing bronzes add natural looking warmth. Together they create a second skin that amplifies and intensifies. They come in six shades including golden bronzes and soft pink shimmers. It's got the new Sunwash diffusing bronzer in two shades in the palette plus four highlighter shades so you can really create lots of different looks with it. Perfect for holiday when you want to pack an edited makeup bag. They ring in at £45. NARS is offering Hilo listeners two deluxe travel sized freebies when they make a purchase online at narscosmetics.co.uk. Simply type in the code HILO, H I L O W, at the checkout and you will receive a mini audacious mascara and mini velvet matte lip pencil in Dolce Vita, one of their best selling pinky nude shades and incidentally, the one I have plastered on my pelt today. Thank you very much to NARS. It's time for the top line. <laughs> the do you top... think it's time for the top line? Why are you doing a German accent? Oh, I thought it was more LOLO there. I thought it was trying to be French. Don't think that was French? It was not French? It's a bit more French. That is more French. I, 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 I don't know where you're going now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the top line is where we read out news from the last week in a buzzy, snappy format. I can't even intro the top line. I can't do any intros. Why do you do this podcast? With anyway, um, we're just going to breeze over Dolly's existential crisis. <laughs> intro crisis. <clears throat> Hit the tunes, DJ CJ. But I know I'll be hunting high and low. High, hunting high and low. A vital piece of information to kick off the top line. And no, I am not being sarcastic. Kem and Amber won Love Island on Monday night with Camilla and Jamie, Pandora's favourites, coming second. New ASA guidelines cracking down on gender stereotyping rule that advertisers can no longer mock men for not being able to do the laundry or that doing the dishes is women's work. Cocaine production in Colombia reached record levels last year. The UN suggests that 866 tonnes of cocaine was produced in Colombia last year in comparison to 649 tonnes in 2015. A Harvard faculty committee is petitioning to do away with frat houses. One day you might be able to watch a bro flick about an Ivy League university without students coming out of Pi Gamma Delta fuckface. The phrase Winnie the Pooh has been banned in China on the country's leading social media networks such as WeChat, their version of WhatsApp, and Weibo, their Twitter, because of the bear's alleged similarity to China's president Xi Jinping. No, that is not an April Fool. In a public statement made on Monday, Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor, said, I did not collude with Russia, adding, I do not know of anyone else on the campaign who did so. My mum doesn't know who Jared Kushner is, incidentally, quite envious of her for that. British photographer David Slater has been left broke after being sued by Peter. On a trip to Indonesia in 2011, David got a black macaque monkey to take a selfie grinning. It's an amazing picture, side note. Mm. Peter are suing him for copyright infringement, claiming the rights belong to the monkey. <laughs> oh my God. A five-year-old girl was fined £150 by Camden Council for selling 50 cups of lemonade on the pavement. Enforcement officers turned up and told the little girl that she did not have a trading licence. Being aged five, she burst into tears. That that was the top line. Hunting high and low. I've done way worse things on the pavements of Camden. God, how disgusting. What were your favourite bits there? I think it might have been Winnie the Pooh looking I like... love the Winnie the Pooh thing. It's so good. How can that be true? Also, can I just say, Peter, obviously they do very good work, but they're not... 
helping the stereotype that that vegetarians are the most humorless, earnest people. They've left this man completely penniless. Yeah, this photographer—it's the most amazing picture. I will be putting it on our Twitter. <laughs> Seriously, it's like this: this monkey is just grinning, taking a selfie. It's all like teeth and sort of baboon face. <laughs> um, but I'm also really, as someone who is absolutely fascinated by the fraternity and sorority system mm. systems um, that you see in Ivy League universities, and you know, for anyone that watches House of Cards and you wonder what that disgusting ring is that Frank Underwood, the president, wears, it's a um, like a signet ring from his frat house at Princeton I think he went to Princeton and it's a real it's like so culty and Mm. completely bizarre and you see it in stuff like Scream Queens if anyone watched that that had Ariana Grande and I remember people were like temporarily obsessed with it last year but like sororities and frat houses are completely insane in that sense and on my gap year I went travelling and then when everyone else was getting fucked up in Thailand I went to Yale and did some summer writing courses because I'm really (laughs) cool and um on Friday nights we go to a party in a frat house and it was mad because they wouldn't drink during the week and then you'd go to these parties and they'd all be topless drinking out of those red cups playing beer pong and throwing that's, up in their shoe that's what Exeter was like <laughs> truly that's what Exeter was like but you weren't a Pi Gamma Delta fuckface it was Exeter was like where, up, where fraternity culture and public school drinking culture intersected so I'll let your imagination go wild. <laughs> Surprise! It's not a novel about that. <laughs> Elizabeth Day. That might be your. Yeah, that would be a great one <laughs> for Elizabeth might be your Day. Next one. Thanks to a government petition demanding that the BBC reveal the salaries of all their talent on more than one hundred and fifty thousand, which is the Prime Minister's salary random no idea why they demanded this petition but anyway the BBC laid bare how much dollar sorry great British pound they had paid the 96 talent um, who earn in excess of £150,000 so that's 96 people and the results were incendiary highest paid was Chris Evans on 2.2 to 2.5 million mind blowing next Gary Lineker on 1.75 to 1.79 million also mind blowing next Graham Norton 850k Jeremy Vine 700k and then John Humphreys Hugh Edwards Steve Wright then finally our first woman Claudia Winkleman uh, I was on holiday when this came out and I'd had my phone stolen so I went old school and began reading the Daily Mail the only paper in English at my Italian hotel <laughs> over breakfast and it actually allowed me to indulge a guilty habit without shame I just had a week of merrily flicking through the Daily Mail um, and to say that the Mail went fulsome on their righteous indignation over the story is nothing short of an understatement Oh I can imagine My most shocking thing other than the gender pay gap was that Nick Knowles was on that list Also Chris Evans I think must have the hardest working agent in show business because like famously he gets these unbelievable deals and I just don't know any Chris Evans fans well the BBC I actually read that the BBC defended his particular salary because obviously a lot of people are like what the hell is he doing saying that he hosts and I didn't know this because I don't listen to his show he hosts the most popular radio show in Europe so it's quite a big when you think of it in that context, it might make sense why he is number one. It's I the still most think popular. That's, a, that's a ludicrous amount. It's a ludicrous amount, but it becomes less ludicrous that he's number one when you think about it in the context of Europe. That is a thing that people forget as well. Helen Neonius always says this, that Radio 2 is the most listened to radio channel in this country. 
not just this country though he's got the most popular show in Europe so yeah. that, that's got big I was really thrown by this in lots of ways obviously in the most obvious way as you've already said how few women are in for example mm. the top 10 let alone the top 96 except for Claudia Winklepicker usual sexist financials there I was listening to Women's Hour the morning that the story broke and that these incomes were published and there was this ongoing discussion throughout the programme about how one of the defences was that the the pay gap, the gender pay gap within the BBC is actually fractionally less than the national gender pay is gap. It? Yeah, but I but I think of all institutions the BBC is public money and it is monitored with an implied morality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I that doesn't quite wash with me, that argument, yeah. I don't think. Like, they should, of all places, they should be... Regulating. Yeah. Yeah, I was quite baffled by how incensed people were by the actual salaries. Um, because it's the entertainment industry. I don't really know why we're surprised. You can't, you can't have... You can't view these figures in isolation. And if we're going to be so outraged, then sit down, grab a chair, because let's talk about the movie industry. Let's talk about on the same day that this Ferrari broke, there was a footballer whose name has temporarily escaped me, who was being bought by one football team for 156 million. Mm. Um, you know, these, and, and that was on the back page of the sports section. Nowhere near the front, nowhere near this kind of this kind of outrage. And I do get quite bored of that thing where anyone who earns over a certain amount of money is seen as disgusting and lazy. So you know when there are supermodels who clearly like get up at three a.m. every day, go do a shoot, have to smile and try and look sexy all day whilst I don't know having their period or whatever. Like mm. I would fucking hate that job. And mm. still, people are like prostitutes who do nothing. You know, I get mm. really bored of people not seeing the entertainment industry as a huge a huge force of joy in almost all of our lives. However, I do think this is complicated by the fact that a lot of them tax dodge, which I fucking loathe. I It's why I hate Philip Green with every fibre of my being. I don't hate him for being rich, and I, I wouldn't even hate him for the BHS pensions gate thing if he paid his taxes, but I think mm. it's absolutely disgusting. And that it is taxpayers' money. And I sometimes wonder why it is actually funded by taxpayers' money and if it should still be funded by taxpayers' money. Although I think there's no other way for it to remain mm. supposedly unbiased. If you start going into that question of why does someone who works in entertainment earn more money, why does a footballer earn more money, it is a really valid question, but it's a very big philosophical question, really, which is about about shared wealth and the value, what what work is valuable in fact i have just started reading conversations with friends and one of the characters says in it that do you she, like that book i'm only about 30 pages in but it's yeah i really like it it's had incredible reviews but i was really disappointed i like it so far but i'm only i'm only at the beginning but there's this moment where a character says that she please forgive me because i'm going to be using completely the wrong economic parlance here but she said that she once looked up how much if you were to divide the amount of money that is available in the world for people to be paid for their job we would all average £16,000 each. Well I read this really interesting stat this morning in this book that Dolly and I were sent which I have only read about 10 pages of but already love and it's called How to Resist by Matthew Bolton and in it he says that by the first Wednesday morning in January, after the bankers have come back to work, the FTSE 100 executives in the city will have earned more money than we will earn in a year. 
I do think it's an interesting conversation, but as you said, it's much further reaching than should Chris Evans be paid £2 million a year for his Radio 2 show. It's about who puts the value on work. Like I remember saying to my friend Belle once, I was having to negotiate a fee for something and Belle said to me, I think you should ask for X amount. And I said to her, well, I don't know if I'm confident enough that my talent, experience and product is worth that amount. And she was like, who monitor, Who decides what's worth that? She was like, do you think that bankers really think that the work that they do is valued at that amount? It's like such a strange system. I think that value is literally what people will pay. So you can determine how much you or anyone is worth by how much they will pay. So if someone is on that sal- on a salary, mm. say that person is on that salary at the BBC, that is because a whole slew of people from the BBC execs to the agents, to the publicists, to the individuals themselves, the producers, have, have, been have all agreed that that is the value placed on it is really a matter of philosophy because if you start looking at it um, you start looking at how many lives are affected Mm. and the quality of those lives and how much they have been enhanced by the person's body of work by what they have produced and then you start dividing happiness and mental well-being on a daily basis by overall enjoyment of life someone who's really interesting talking about this is Sarah Jessica Parker on Alec Baldwin's podcast here's the thing and they talk about whether actors should be paid successful actors should be paid the masses amounts of money that they are and something that they both point out is that the entertainment industry and acting in particular isn't a system of meritocracy in a way that a lot of other professions are so when you're an actor and you're out of work which is the majority of most actors life you can be a waitress on minimum wage for however long then you can get one big job and then you might fall out of favor and never get that job again so something they point out is that yes it is more the disparity is larger in terms of what the salaries are but it's a much more unpredictable and random system of value and way of life i do see that as applicable but i do think it's ironic coming from those two because they are unlikely to ever be out of work and they will command millions of pounds for every role they do the actors who have much more peripatetic work lives and might be out of work for a long period of time and not the actors that are being paid 50 million pound for a movie i think their argument is coming back to what you said about the victoria's secret thing is that they begrudge the idea that they don't know hard work or they don't understand oh yeah yeah no totally i mean i was reading an interview with eleanor tomlinson in vanity fair today she's in poldark and she was saying for six months of the year as the leading lady on poldark she gets up at 4 30 in the morning mm. and i thought fuck me i would cry if i had to get up i couldn't do it i could not get up at 4 30 in the morning for six me months either. for love nor money but i read a really interesting piece actually in the independent title why are right-wing outlets outraged at the BBC salaries? It's not because of gender equality. And the piece says it's basically about privatisation, this whole Ferrari, and that the BBC is just a vestige of 80s socialism. So basically, other outlets are forced to use paywalls in order to make money. And by that, I mean that the Sunday Times has to charge £10 a month for you to be able to read articles online, and Mm. the Telegraph premium charges money, and the New York Times pays £8 a month. And I know this because I'm somehow paying for all these fucking paywalls (laughs) that I forget about. Um, Whereas the BBC being as it is funded by taxpayers' money, can afford to put up all the articles on their very good website that I look at every day for free. So there's actually the suggestion that what this comes down to is more um, a kind of, yeah, the whole sort of Thatcherite privatisation versus 
socialist endeavour and ownership, which was not something I had. No, that is very interesting. Considered. I think the thing is, though, just coming back to what I said earlier, there is no point viewing this in isolation. So how much movie stars are being paid, as you said. And if you read down the whole list, and I got quite far, it's worth noting that a lot of EastEnders actors were on the list, including um, Lacey Turner, and they're all on £150,000. All the leading actors on EastEnders are on that same same bracket. And they were really hard, and it's a leading soap. But doesn't the BBC political editor, Kamal Ahmed, also on £150,000, work bloody hard? And then if you look at what other journalists, BBC aside, earn, it's considerably more. And in fact, a lot of leading journalists have pointed out that they earn less at the BBC than they would elsewhere because it's considered a privilege to work there. And if you look at columnists and journalists um, at other um, publications that aren't funded by taxpayers' money, then you're looking at much higher salaries. There are famous columnists for newspapers who I know of, I, I can think of three, who earn a quarter of a million pounds a year. Paul Dacre, the controversial editor of The Mail, took home 1.5 million last year. Where on earth did you find that out? Paul Dacre's salary is just on the internet. Really? Couldn't find John Witherow, who's the editor of The Times, and I couldn't find Kevin, whatever it is at the Sun. I couldn't find anyone else's, but Paul Do Dacre. Do tweet us. <laughs> Paul Dacre is 1.5 million. So it do, it comes back, I think, to that idea of the licence fee that the BBC demands we pay for. And some people struggle to pay for their licence. And that's, that's where privatisation, I think, gets really difficult. Um, because... I think it's interesting to see this in the light of other journalists being paid a lot more. But if the whole taxpayers' money thing is to ensure that the BBC stays the one sole unbiased journalistic portal that we have left, um, I just don't even know if I think that exists anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I think the BBC is unbiased. Um, Anyway, you can go around in circles with this, but it does throw up a lot of interesting questions, and I think it's, I think it's, it's reductive and quite boring just to focus on. Oh my God, they get paid so much money. Also, I was very impressed that Chris Evans was the first to say it's completely right and proper that people should know this. Oh really? He wasn't defensive about it. The strangest thing that I've read on the whole thing is Tom Chambers, who's a casualty actor, defended the gender pay gap within the BBC by saying a lot of male actors might have wives who are stay-at-home mothers and children, so that's why they should be paid more. <laughs> but you know why he said that? You've just reminded me of one of my favourite things I read, is he was defending, quote-unquote, um, the casualty actor uh, Derek Thompson, who plays Charlie, who's been on the soap for 31 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he earns... £350,000 and people became rightfully obsessed with this because I mean who even watches Casualty anymore <laughs> but it's because when you've worked at a company for 31 years like yeah, they can't afford to buy you <laughs> Support for this week's episode of The Hilo comes from Sainsbury's Home Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering great quality design led products at very reasonable prices this summer, Sainsbury's Home has launched a sumptuous collection of home accessories, bedding and tableware in metallic colours and rich textures, inspired by traditional Moroccan designs and print. I love a Moroccan textile. I've actually considered getting an EasyJet flight to Marrakesh simply to stock up on home furnishings. I like your use of the singular there, a Moroccan textile. Well, look, <laughs> Dolly, you don't have to do that anymore because you can just go online or visit one of 400 Sainsbury's that stocks the Sainsbury's Home homeware. If you're a millennial, 
with a love of luxurious velvet and touches of gold and marble, a.k.a. Dolly Hannah Alderton, this will be right up your street. You could be in with a chance of winning a bundle of prizes from the range. Each week after the Hilo goes live, a Moroccan Lux... Do we call it Lux or Lux, Pandora? <laughs> I could go with Lux. Lux. Moroccan Lux image will be posted on the at Sainsbury's Homes Instagram account, allowing you to enter up to four times. Just follow at Sainsbury's Home, like the Moroccan Lux photo that mentions the high-low, and leave a comment tagging a friend who you think would also like to enter the competition. The competition ends on the 28th of July. And while I'm getting unbelievably stressed in my new flat, sorting out council tax and going on two-hour treasure hunts for the boiler, why are they always put in really weird places? Um, I'm drawing on the Sainsbury's home ethos, which is that it's the little things that make a house a home. Thank you very much to Sainsbury's home. This is a pretty nutty story with a lot of bizarre details and some completely mad twists and turns, so buckle up and listen carefully. Journalist Jim DeRogatis, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, a former R. Kelly fan and interviewer, was tipped off over 17 years ago with an anonymous fax claiming that the star had been accused of sex crimes by underage women. The journalist went on to uncover a series of terrible allegations, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. The journalist has now led a BuzzFeed investigation into a new claim that R. Kelly enforces underage women to live in his house in a sex cult. Vox reports, Kelly, according to Cheryl Mack, Kitty Jones and Asante McGee, former members of Kelly's Inner Circle, controls everything from the women's use of phones to what they wear and what they eat. And the parents of these young women, unable to reach their daughters, are terrified about what is happening behind closed doors. The journalist told Vox, the thing that makes me sick to my stomach is it's impossible in Chicago to walk three or four blocks in the music communities of the South and West Side and not find 10 people who have stories about R. Kelly or their cousin has a story about him or their sister. Why on earth isn't there more reporting forwarding the story? I love that idea of three or four blocks in the music communities. I know. Um, he obviously really immersed himself in this yeah, story totally. to kind of find all this stuff So out. I was a bit late to this story because I was away and only reading the Daily Mail without my phone. But <laughs> fucking hell, it's weird. It's I mean, really weird. I knew R. Kelly was a pedo and I do believe I said on this very podcast that R. Kelly was a pedo. It was still a bit muddled. Should we remind ourselves of that epic moment, listeners? India said... Whatever happened to the Lighthouse family? And I said, I didn't know, it's a crime. Well, you know what happened to the Lighthouse family. What did happen to the Lighthouse family? Pervert. What? The, um, the main guy, what's he called? The Tundi. singer. R. Kelly. Oh, my God. That's what happened R. to the Lighthouse Kelly family. was not in the Lighthouse family, Pandora. What was he in? R. Kelly was just a solo artist. R. Kelly was in the Lighthouse family. <laughs> is he definitely not? 100%. This is my favourite episode of the Hilo. <laughs> Do you know who the Lighthouse family are? I thought it was R. Kelly and Friends. When that day arrives, we'll live on the ocean Never going to live that one down. <laughs> I did say my musical knowledge was scant and I went last went to a music concert in 1789. Anyway, the responses to this, as often the case... God, I love the internet because you can really canvas for opinion, have been really enlightening. So lots of people have been saying that, you know, 
the way that this is being reported is actually inaccurate because this isn't a cult, it's sex trafficking. Mm. Straight up sex mm. trafficking. Yeah, and some people have been defending Kelly, saying that these women are above the age of consent, they are all sentient beings. But I think it's more complicated than that. Um, and side note, oh my God, can you believe, I had no idea about this, that he married a liar when she was 15 mm. and he was 28. And there are rumours that she had a child by him as well. Really? Mm, I read like some, I fell down a Google spiral, obviously. Oh, mate, me too. <laughs> I think the most worrying thing that I've read on this subject is that he has apparently hired Monique Presley, who was the lawyer who represented mm. Bill Cosby and who was a very out, outspoken supporter and defender of Bill Cosby. Have you heard her statement on it as well? She's like, this is a really hardworking, kind, compassionate man. Like, it's just, it saddens me and it saddens Rob that some people just want to tear, you know, tear this God-fearing man down. Like, it's the most hilarious statement. But I think the thing that's worrying is the cases are similar in that a man, it's a man of great power. And I think you know that Monica Presley is going to go down the same party line as she yeah. did with Bill Cosby, which was, well, if if it was so terrible, why didn't you report it at the time? Which is like all feeds into the problem of rape Victim culture. blaming. Yeah. And Jim DeRogatis, I'm sorry if I keep saying this name wrong. Um, he himself said... Look up the FBI statistics for sexual assault. This is rape culture. So many women are reluctant to come forward because they know what the process of getting justice is like. The number of women who actually file is a fraction of the number of women who are assaulted. For those who file, the number of arrests is a small fraction of those who filed. And something like 90% of sexual assault arrests, according to the FBI, mm. never see a conviction. He also goes on to say... I've said it often, and I'm paraphrasing Malcolm X by way of Mark Anthony Neal, a great African-American scholar. Nobody matters less in society than young mm. black women. What Neil has said is if it was one white girl from the suburbs, this might have been a different story. Mm, I mean, to sidestep, but a, an interesting maybe comparison it, it, that I said to my mum the other day was that if Madeleine McCann wasn't white yeah. her and case, angelic and with two doctor parents her case would not still mm. be in the public eye um, yeah there's quite a lot of pieces that have been written actually um, about how this is about race and uh, that it's another example of black women being exploited by black men in positions of authority Bill Cosby obviously is the major comparison that people have been drawing there's an article on vox.com by feminista jones obviously a pseudonym um entitled black women have been calling out r kelly for years and it says it's hard for me to believe that if the victims were young white girls there would be the same reaction and she cites missing white girl syndrome it's a piss poor excuse and further dehumanizes black people and our lives by erasing our experiences from public knowledge missing white children are still afforded their innocence and deemed damsels in distress whilst black girls are less innocent and pegged as runaway prostitutes drug abusers or some other description meant to demean them and strip them of humanity and innocence just search missing girl on google images and you will see pictures of white women only when men are suspected of preying on women of color the victims and their parents are often blamed first in the past few days i've witnessed a lot of this sentiment on twitter and facebook regarding r kelly's victims and i read a lot of comments blaming the parents for not keeping hold of their daughters some say that with all of the allegations against kelly in the past parents shouldn't let their children go around him i wish i could say i am surprised by this reaction but i am not yeah, it's very disturbing and it's something I'm much more aware of since we had Rennie Edo-Lodge come on the show and since Absolutely. we read her amazing book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. It's really opened my eyes to systemic racism everywhere at every turn and how we value a white life over a black life. Yes, culturally agreed. 
The most bizarre detail of the whole hideous thing I read in a Jezebel article, and I am just going to quote it now for you because it's extraordinary. One woman called Kim, who was in the inner circles, come forward and gave an account of how he punished one of the girls in the circle. Kim said that she and the girl were instructed by Kelly to take off your clothes and act like you miss each other. He got out his iPad and started filming, she said, but was dissatisfied with by the 19-year-old's performance. He told Kim to sit on the couch and took the 19-year-old into another room. 20 minutes later, he called Kim in. Kim knocked in the proper way. Apparently, he had this like, very specific rule in which how the women were allowed to knock on, their door, on his door. Then walked in to find the younger girl nude, except for one of Kelly's bigger pieces of jewellery, a heavy chain. He had his iPad recording and she was naked except for a big chain and she was running laps from one end of the room to the other, Kim remembers. She was running laps around the room and apologising. I have to act like I miss you more, she said. I wasn't getting into it. Panda and I were at an event last night and I told her this across the table and how extraordinary I found this detail. And I said, you have to hand it to him. He's a depraved pervert, but that is an incredibly imaginative perversion. And Panda reminded me that perverts can be creative too. It's not just the job of writers. <laughs> perverts are many things, Dolly, as this story um, elaborates. I went into a bit of a Wikipedia black hole on R. Kelly afterwards. And obviously this is no excuse for his monstrous behaviour. But interestingly, he was abused as a child and his early life sounds pretty traumatic. Well, sex perpetrators have often been sexually abused themselves. It's a distressing cycle of abuse and it can be historic Mm -hmm. and it can be inherited and behavior can be replicated can be i add i'm absolutely not suggesting that everyone who is a victim of abuse goes on to be an abuser but the theory of cyclical inherited Mm -hmm. behavior is definitely playing out in the case of r kelly of course the priority now is just the safety and the welfare of those young women and i hope those girls get out and I obviously hope he's punished appropriately. I did see quite a few tweets of people bemoaning how they can no longer enjoy the Ignition remix <laughs> because of this story. Oh God, I've got the lyrics in my head as you said that. I'm not going to break into songs that are not how to end this segment. But I was just like, guys, a bit of perspective. Like, this is not the most disturbing thing of the story, is it? You've got to love Twitter for that, though. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. Thank you for your, all your emails. We had a bunch in the last fortnight and we've loved reading all of them. You can always email us with your feedback, comments, questions, praise, inquiries, <laughs> suggestions, dilemmas. We're the Hilo Show at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at the Hilo Show. Kicking off with a question. Dear Dolly and Pandora, let's not beat around the proverbial here. The Hilo is the best podcast of its kind in the podcastosphere. Podcastosphere. 
don't know how to say that. I'm 24 years old and I have never had anything that could come remotely close to a boyfriend. I'm painfully insecure about this and really concerned there's something wrong with me. I've had sex two times over intense insecurities about still being a virgin, but safe to say both times were not pleasurable in the slightest. I feel incompatible with romantic and sexual love. Like it's just not meant for me and I'm incapable of attracting it or giving it. I'm a natural introvert, but since moving to New York a few months ago, not knowing anyone for a new job, I've gone out, I've taken risks and I've used apps all to try and be really proactive. I must stress, I'm incredibly fortunate to have a surplus of love in my life and I'm also extremely independent, but I desperately and deeply crave a relationship. Love, anon. Really interesting one, this. Mm. It's a dichotomy I know really well, that feeling of, I don't know if this is something wrong with me in that there's a pull between having this life that's abundant with love, not romantic love, and and enjoying your independence, but also having this quieter voice that says, why can't you do relationships? Is there something wrong with you? Do you you need to have one? Um, First of all, the thing that I I really want to make clear is that no one is going to have a good shag on their first two one-night stands. (laughs) That's completely normal. I would have been astounded if you said, and he was... Mr. Lover Lover and it was the best sex of my life. Like Yeah, that's an interesting point to make because when I first read this I was thinking, Oh, I wonder I wonder if she's asexual and you know that there is a percentage of society that are not sexually motivated and maybe that's just something to how she feels. But that's a really interesting point you make is you're not gonna feel sexually motivated when you've had two no. terrible shams. No, and this is the thing that I think It's people, like riding a bicycle as well. But this is the thing that people misunderstand. If you are someone who's had a hundred one night stands, those are not the people that you that are the most sexually knowledgeable. You learn about how to have good sex and you learn about intimacy when you're in a relationship. So don't worry that these two frissons that you have had have not been good. It's not indicative of what sex will be like for you in the future. Sex just gets better as you get older anyway. Um, the thing that I just want to hammer home on this is you mention that you love your independence and you have an abundance of love in your life. We place such a premium on romantic love in our society. I think sometimes we maybe obsess over it or think that we want it when we don't. And like, maybe, maybe your life is really full. Like maybe you're at a point where you hang out with your friends all the time and you're starting your career and you've got loads and loads of passions and hobbies. Like, maybe you haven't got room to pursue that. Well, to quote the great Hannah Dolly Alderton, the biggest loves of my lives are my female friends. For sure. Don't punish yourself if, the, if that is the case. And in time, you'll find space for it. And maybe you won't. Like, that's fine as well. What she doesn't say, which I'm interested in, is you don't say if you fancy many people. So it's hard to determine. She, she did actually, in her longer letter, she said she's only really fancied four people, um, but she said one of them ended up getting with her friend and the other three looked straight past her. Which, my okay. God, I know that feeling, don't worry. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I think it's a really difficult one with that sort of knowing you and more about your situation. Because um, whilst, as I was saying, that I thought was reading it earlier, whilst I would hate to suggest that you are asexual if you just haven't been in a time of your life where you're ready for a relationship or met someone that inspires that feeling in you. Um, I also think that there is a like 
many more people an unspoken part of society for whom sex is just not a priority it's just not a motivation they will never get that impulse and therefore a lot of them are not in relationships and if they are they are in relationships where you know they might not even kiss certainly there'd be no sexual contact again to stress I'm not saying this is what your letter's saying but I do think that we have to remember that in the same way identity is this vast spectrum and you know uh, sexuality is this vast spectrum so is you know sexual inclination Mm. you know you might know someone who has sex every single day god help their chafed private parts and then you might know someone else who's you know likes having sex once a month and then there might be people who haven't had sex for 20 years and they're fucking thrilled about it Mm. so it's very hard especially for you age 24 in a new city it's really difficult as you say to work out if there is quote unquote something wrong with you or um and just to you know clarify there's nothing wrong with you um there's just different people different different shades for different what's the bloody cliche (laughs) Different strokes for different folks. That's it. Different strokes for different folks. Um, Maybe maybe she doesn't want to be stroked. Maybe you don't want to be stroked. Anyway, we could go on. I think she does. I think she does want to be stroked. I think you want to be stroked too. But I think. So why not stroke yourself until you? We're not going down this path. Self love. The Hitachi wand. Sorry, Um, (laughs) mum. Um, I the the parting thought I would give is don't do fucking anything because don't do fucking don't that's do, your parting <laughs> no that would never be my parting thought don't do anything because you feel like you're disappointing people or you're weird or you need to prove something to yeah. the world only do something it might just be that you haven't met a really amazing person you and haven't it might met be, your panty dropper and exactly and maybe you'll meet him you'll meet the panty dropper and you'll be like everything has fallen into place but don't go out on aggressive dating and searching for something if you're worried that something is wrong with you just like listen to your own instincts also can I just add that for an ingenue in love in the art of love the New York dating scene will eat you alive. Fuck me. So please yeah. settle in gradually to yeah. New York. Yeah. Maybe do one app, but bear in mind that career dating means you date about eight different people and you're not exclusive with anyone, and that might ensure that you never dare have sex ever again. You'll never find the panty <laughs> dropper at that rate. Good luck. Keep us posted. Second question. Hi, Dolly and Pandora. I've been having trouble recently with one of my best friends and I need some advice. I love her to bits, but recently her insecurities have been starting to play on me. She's an incredibly attractive girl and receives a lot of attention around her appearance. However, she is also very insecure with her appearance, which I'm sympathetic about. It's something we all experience, but it's got to the point where she needs constant reassurance. Everyone needs lifting up once in a while, and it's my job as a friend to do that. But it's become almost draining to provide that constant reassurance. I've said it a thousand times, I'm exhausted. I don't know whether to distance myself from her because it's affecting my mental well-being, or if that's a selfish thing of me to do. Should I help her become more confident? This is really interesting because I think most women um, will have experienced this. I have experienced this from being very low about seven years ago and knowing that I was overburdening my friends emotionally and Mm -hmm. then putting up walls and it really actually breaking me. And I can remember two friends who I felt like were not there for me at that specific time and it really did lodge in my memory. Mm. And I try and remind myself of that when someone asks reassurance for the nth time. It also reminded me, and bear with me, of an episode recently of Love Island (laughs) where Montana said, rather bitchily, I thought, that Camilla needed constant reassurance and she found it emotionally exhausting and why couldn't Camilla just sort of buck the fuck up and enjoy herself? And I really 
empathised with that. But I also did have a flicker of, God, it's sort of fair enough that Montana's a bit bored of it, isn't it? It's yeah. sort of fair enough that sometimes you feel like, I've said this a million times, you know, if you're not going to listen to me, what's the point in saying it anymore? And the, the thing you have to hope is that it's a phase because most most women ebb and flow in terms of their confidence and their self-esteem mm. if this is a problem you've been having with her for years then I would say she probably needs to go and talk to someone yeah that's my advice I think the thing is it's like people think we're given such a picture of friendship being this like easy breezy thing but you know it's like a marriage it's like a relationship it's hard work and you do enter into a contract when you have a <laughs> best friend that no but you do put up with their bullshit we need to update help. our contract for this <laughs> <laughs> and you um and you've fulfilled all your obligations in your friendship contract with us by the way um and and you do have if you're going to abandon her in this hour of need who else does she have do you know what i mean i just think like however stressful it might be for you to have to reassure her imagine how much more stressful and exhausting it is to be in her poor little head and the thing that i would say is you need to have a moment of like well done for being so patient draw on your deepest resources of compassion and know that hopefully she will do the same for you in a different way in the future and sit her down and say my darling girl I just feel like we've got to a point where there are not enough compliments in the world from anyone that will make you feel full or make you feel happy with yourself and I can't supply you with that anymore because I just feel like it's it's empty for you and I want to help you so maybe you need to work on where you can get that sense of self-worth because it ain't going to be a compliment from me. Maybe you should go talk to someone professional about this. Very well said. There was an interesting line actually in your letter that I did think about um, where you said it's affecting my mental well-being. And that is that is more of an alarm bell because I would say a lot of the time when you have a friend that might be being a bit angsty and annoying, it doesn't affect your mental no, well-being. It no. affects your patience. And your time. If yeah. it's genuinely affecting your mental well-being, then I think that's interesting. I think you need to sit down and figure out why it's affecting your mental well-being. Is her lack of self-esteem making you doubt Question, your own yeah. esteem and if so you need to evaluate the support network you have around you exactly um, because I think in order to be there for other friends you have to draw on other friends and that's the way friendships work you're all drawing on different yes, people for different yes. things but I remember and keeping it quite opaque about six months ago you had a situation where you had a friend in need and you didn't have the time or the words to soothe that person do you have any practical tips for her? Because I feel like you're in a very similar situation to mm. this girl. The problem is, is that you do have to, your presence has to be there and you have to be concise with your support and your kind of unconditional love. But you also have to, as, as Pandora says, you have to preserve your resources and you have to help them move forward. And it got to a point with a friend where I just said, I am all out here I think it's the blind leading the blind a bit this is such a huge problem I'm saying these platitudes over and over I'm trying to give you this advice I don't think that I'm helping you move forward and I really want to help you move forward with this situation I think you need to talk to a professional and I helped her find a professional she went to talk to the professional things got much easier and I said to her you know I am always here as well to talk to you and, and to give advice but I think this might be this might be greater than me and I want to be productive with this problem and also as a friend I would say that you sh the friend should be there as the emotional backup not mm. the emotional anchor yes um yeah it's no one's entire job you know I said earlier yeah. you have a contract what I meant is you should have 
we have to put up with our friendship we have to be loyal to a certain extent because who else will yeah um but it's no one's in romantic life in family life anything it's no one's responsibility ever to be the sole provider of another person's happiness or mental well-being yeah 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 and you mustn't ever feel the weight of that responsibility and no one should put that on you again please do keep in touch let Mm. us know how you get on with your friendship and with um yourself and as always if listeners are listening and this particularly resonates with them or they've had a similar experience or they've come out the other side do email us some advice and we can put you guys in contact yeah we're always forwarding emails that other people have suggested from other ideas and in fact we had a really lovely email back from a listener who was suffering from anxiety a few years after her mother died and didn't want her name read out because there were people in her life that would worry Mm. and she said you know thanks to the responses that you forwarded me and it made me think and I'm now seeking professional help and I think she said she she opened up to people yeah and I think she said she was feeling a lot better yeah which is great our third email is a bit of an unusual one in that we've never had a question like this in the high-low inbox. So I'm sure it will be a problem, not necessarily of this scale, but I'm sure it'll be a problem for lots of others as well. I found it really affecting and really sad, probably mm. because I'm lucky to enjoy a very strong relationship with my mother. And I've actually been thinking about it all day. Anyway, here goes. Dear Dolly and Pandora, my sisters and I are fed up of having to deal with our emotionally volatile, manipulative and unempathetic mum. It's led to years of family fighting, though we cover it up pretending to be happy on the outside. I challenged mum on this behaviour last summer and it was a complete flop. She refused to see any wrong in how she acts. She now holds a grudge against me, there's minimum contact and her behaviour has got even worse. I convinced her to go to see a family therapist with me, but the session was so painful. She sat there stone-faced and denied anything that I or the psychologist said. Since then, my sisters and I have been trying to move on with our lives and support each other as best we can. What concerns me now is that my niece, who is not yet 12, is getting the brunt of mum's behaviour. She's being told she's fat, she's being put under pressure to be more creative, she's being told that her own mum is messy, lazy and poor. This is a girl who has already had a tough life. My sister had her when she was just 19 and her dad is a heroin addict. My sister relies on my mum hugely for childcare and she feels completely trapped. My niece is an amazing girl and I'm terrified that these great qualities will be picked away by my mum's throwaway nasty comments. As you said, it's so difficult to um, have any proper insight in this because I'm in this very privileged position like you are that I have a very good relationship with my mother and I understand that's that's a very lucky thing to happen in life, particularly as, as I've grown up, I've noticed more and more with women that I know how they have these particularly dysfunctional relationships with their mothers. The only advice that I can give you is, first of all, I think it's two separate issues. The issue with the niece, I would just say she's so young and, as you said, she's gone through such trauma and it's so dangerous for a young girl to be hearing that stuff about her physical appearance at that age. I think you need to just keep her out of your mother's life. I think you and your sisters sound like you are level-headed and grown up enough and and sturdy enough now to have each other and deal with it. But I think just keep that your niece away from her if possible. Um, the only point of comparison that I have is I had a friend whose mother was continually, continually disappointing her. They had a very, very distressing uh, relationship. Uh, her mother behaved very badly. She felt very abandoned by her. And um, but my friend said, she's my mum. You know, I can't I don't I don't want to lose her completely. I don't want to. She's my family. I don't want to lose that connection, even though it would be easier to cut her out of my life. And I said, look, you just have to completely 
you've tried so hard to make this work. They did the therapy thing as well. It just wasn't going anywhere. I was like, you just have to reconfigure in your head. I was about to say, what your you mother have to re- is and what you recalibrate the definition exactly. of a mother. Yeah. So for you and your sisters, she might be this um, distance, quite troubling presence. She's still your mum. You still see her on occasions, but she is not. Um, she is not your emotional anchor. No, so come back to no. that. She's not someone you should rely on. She's not someone that She's you not should be vulnerable you. in front of. Yeah. Your niece is, I don't know anything about your financial arrangement, your sister's job, your jobs, where you live, the geography of this, anything. But as your niece is almost 12, so I'm guessing she's at school most days, can, being as close as you and your sisters are, or if any of you have partners or neighbourhood, you know, uh, next door neighbours, can you arrange a system where you are not um, relying on your on your mum because it doesn't seem like it's right for her to be in your lives at the Mm -hmm. moment so are there you know can you talk to local support centres there must be if if your sister is really struggling for money and because the child's father is a heroin addict presumably she's not getting any child allowance from him can the state offer any subsidised care this is not an area I'm particularly familiar with but I don't believe that your your mum with her maybe poisonous um poisonous thoughts at the moment I don't believe your mum can be the only childcare in your niece's Mm. life Um, so you know put your heads together use other family members that aren't you know maybe it's the other side of your family or that they don't have a relationship with your mum you know draw on other people um, but also give yourself a bit of a rest don't do any more family therapy don't kind of try and knock this on the head it don't sounds respond. like you've tried really hard don't give her the luxury of knowing what she's doing to you disengage completely and emotionally and treat her like you would treat a really difficult colleague at work be polite be civil reply keep things brief do not ever go out of your way mentally physically do anything you need to do but you know the one thing that no one has control over which I often have to remind myself is no one has control of how you think so you Mm. can say yes okay thank you so much for your advice and in your head you're like you're a fucking bitch and I'm never going to listen to anything you're going to say by the way I don't have any of those relationships (laughs) in my life but you can but I've certainly worked with people where Mm. I've been like you are an awful person Mm. you know you think all the things you want but for now close up shore up set some boundaries don't put any of that on the outside and try and shield your niece from from that as well best of luck i'm so sorry you're in that situation we're sending you all our love and support thank you so much to everyone who listened to the high low today don't forget to rate review and subscribe on itunes it makes real difference it helps people find us more easily and it gives us a big boost yes it boosts us up the chart you can tweet us at the high low show you can email us the high low show at gmail.com and we will be putting links to everything that we can remember which is never everything <laughs> in the bio of this episode so when you listen on itunes just read down the page and we'll be trying to put lots on our twitter as well thank you so much to acast our podcast platform for letting use your studio to record this episode thank you to Lauren Benstead for the funky groovy music and for the adventure over the weekend 